Hello and welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Be sure to check out the Writers Guild Foundation annual television symposium Saturday, April 18th at the Writers Guild Theater in Beverly Hills. Tickets for the uh, TV symposium and many other great Writers Guild events are on their website, wgfoundation.org. And for more great interviews and resources on the craft and business of writing, be sure to check out our companion website, scriptsandscribes.com. Our guest today is a returning visitor and frequent contributor to scriptsandscribes.com. She's a prominent lit manager at Industry Entertainment and former longtime lit agent at APA and ICM. And as of April 17th, she's also the co-executive producer of CW's new series, The Messengers, and we're totally excited for her and for the show, of course. Originally from Walter White's Neck of the Woods and equally badass, though not nearly as menacing. Welcome back to the show, Ava. <laughs> Ava Jamshidi. Thank you so much. Appreciate being back on, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah, it's always great talking to you. And first off, we're very excited for you for The Messengers, premiering Friday, April 17th on the CW, 9-8 Central. Thank you. <laughs> uh, can, you, can you share with everyone, what is The Messengers about, first and foremost? Uh, is it really about the end of days? Or are you all tricking everyone and it's about aliens or some elaborate dream sequence that will be revealed later on or something like that? Yeah, we won't be pulling a Dallas, you know, it's all been <laughs> okay. a dream moment. Um, but uh, no, it is it, it is actually about yeah, five very disparate people who are uh, brought together um, sort of unknowingly through a set of circumstances where uh, they discover that they are five of the seven angels of the apocalypse and that the uh, the, the devil has come back to Earth, and um, you know, various menacing things are afoot uh, along the way. Over that first season, they'll meet the other two angels of the apocalypse. And um, what's fun is that nothing is exactly quite what it seems, including the devil himself. And um, and it does, yeah, it does play into a, a end of days, book of Revelation kind of stuff. But we were we were really specific in in making sure it wasn't something that felt strictly of one doctrine. You know, it, um, what, uh, uh, my client who created the show, Owen O'Donnell, always said, and our showrunner, Trey Calloway, have always said is, you know, what's interesting about all religions is they all have an end of day scenario. They all have an apocalyptic event. You know, obviously, Book of Revelation reflects that of Christianity, but, you know, even Buddhism has the earth being burnt up by seven suns, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. Seven angels of the apocalypse, seven suns. So there's a lot of different things all across the board. And, um, and to that end, you know, we have our characters reflecting that, too. One of our our uh, leads is an atheist, you know, um, and eventually our other messengers are international of different, you know, different origins, ethnicities, descents, and, and beliefs, you know. So we kind of go from a true believer, one's a preacher, to an atheist, and everything in between. It's pretty cool. Fun. Yeah. Your client, Owen O'Donnell, created the concept and, and brought it to you. Uh, and I know it's incredibly difficult, not only selling a pilot, which is obviously a challenge in and of itself, but then getting it shot and even harder yet getting the next step and getting it picked up and going to series. Uh, I know this is a very, very simple process. So can you explain the process of how (laughs) a spec pilot becomes a TV series? Well, this is a pretty unique scenario in that I was, I first through an old assistant of mine, um, who I will shout out Xander Lehman, who has his own show going to series now at Hulu called casual amongst other really great things. So Xander had worked for me for a year, and, and um, he now was working for a producer since 2011, and he forwarded me Owen's script for The Messengers and just said, hey, I think you'd really like this, just knowing my taste. And he was right. I flipped out for it uh-huh. and, um, and signed Owen, I think, July of 2011 while I was still at ICM, um, and even technically more so still a feature agent, but mm-hmm. um, more and more interested in TV as, as every day went by. And... Um, 
And very quickly, we set it up uh, with Sony, with our still current partners on it, Thunder Road, Basil Iwanek. And, um, and Sony took it out February of 2012 with director Jonathan Liebman attached to it. And it went out and it just it didn't sell. And, um, and at that point, I was transitioning out of being an agent. And, you know, a couple months after that, I was now a manager. And, and uh, you know, it took a minute for me to get my sea legs as a manager. But by the, the year, I just was thinking back on it and was just like, God, I really love this script. And I'm selfishly speaking, I really want to watch this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and because uh, I just know where it was, you know, some of the cool stuff that Owen and I talked about, et cetera. And, and um, at this point, we had just staffed him on Teen Wolf. And, um, and I'd use the messengers as a sample, by the way, uh, around town during staffing season um, of 2013. And so I, I asked Owen, I was just like, do you, do you mind if I keep trying on this? You know, I, I know it's technically dead, but I, I'd really like to keep trying. And, and if I'm able to do something, would you be open to me producing it alongside you? And he uh, graciously was like, I'm pretty sure it's dead, but if you want to keep trying, I'm not going to stop you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but you know, in 2011, 2012, Amazon didn't exist. A couple of places didn't. And Sony is limited in some of the places they could sell. And, and um, so with the great advice of Owen's agent, my old colleague, Pete Stone, we'd come really close to staffing Owen at CW. They'd all read the messengers of the sample and had really liked it. So we'd, uh, we'd gone to Amazon. We got an offer from Amazon. We went to CW and got an offer from CW, you know, two years after having first read that script right. in 2011. And then, um, and then, yes, so at that point, we had also brought on who we thought might initially be our showrunner, who's also a client here at Industry Entertainment, um, Ted Humphrey, who's an executive producer of The Good Wife, which is one of my favorite network mm-hmm. shows. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we, we met with a couple writers, but Ted just really felt like the right guy. And, and so um, Ted was overseeing Owen, because Owen was a, was, a, was a new writer you know, for CW, you know, a young guy. So you know, it, uh, it was helpful to have um, you know, a veteran guy like, like Ted but um, and he just was really, you know, really easy. He never stepped, you know, into Owen's way. He just sort of like suggested a couple things here or there, and and you know, we did two rounds of notes. There's two steps when it comes to those sort of development deals. So first rewrite, second rewrite, all that stuff happens pretty quickly. Scripts are delivered in by January of that of the the following year, so January 2014. Scripts getting delivered. You know, we're all feeling really good about it, but we know there's a lot of competition and there's a lot of scripts being read and. CW probably has the um, the more favorable odds because they don't buy as much stuff, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and and as a result, you're you're competing, but you're also competing for fewer slots as well too. Right. Um, additionally, CW they you know being owned by CBS and Warner Brothers, they only buy projects from CBS Studios or Warner Brothers TV Studios, and they order pilots in an even number. So they usually order six pilots, three would be CBS, three would be uh, Warner Brothers, and we were a CBS show, so we were fighting to be one of those three. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, we ended up being the very last pilot selected by Les Moonves. Um, and, um, and yeah, from that point where the, the joy of it all happening and, you know, I'll never forget Owen calling the office and we're all, I've had a candle lit, I think for two weeks waiting <laughs> for those reads on my desk here, um, just hoping for good stuff. And, and Owen had called and said, I just got the call. We're going to pilot and we're, all going just freaking out nice. so and the uh the reality was uh, was quickly subdued in some ways but uh rather it was uh, quickly put upon us in that it was congratulations 
you're five and a half weeks out from production. <laughs> you're also the last pilot. So we had, you know, essentially six series regulars. We needed a director. We discovered we were actually shooting in my hometown of Albuquerque, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, first, first thing was first, you know, along with uh, Tancubana and Basil with Thunder Road and Owen, four of us were really, you know, rolling up our sleeves and, all right, let's go find our line producer. Um, the, the producer of Breaking Bad and, and ran that production and now currently doing uh, Better Call Saul. And, um, and we discovered most of that Breaking Bad crew was available because they were a month out from shooting this pilot of uh, Better Call Saul. Oh, right. So they were available. So we have this amazing crew and, and filled in a few other, you know, different, uh, you know, uh, spots within that crew, but we had at least half of that Breaking Bad crew. Um, and then found the director. Uh, we were just all blown away by Stephen Williams, who had been, um, he and Jack Bender with producer directors of Lost, and Stephen was there the entire run, over 20-some-odd episodes of, um, of Lost, and that was one of the shows we were modeling ourselves after because we definitely while the subject matter is different each episode does have a focus on a character and you get into these backstories and the and the personal still plays out with the high concept present day and um and Stephen was just phenomenal and we just you know casting went in we felt really blessed and you know some people were easy to cast others we had to fight for and um and we were really pleased when we came back you know the studio was just like Wow, we love everybody. You know, they're they're all great. Like, there's nobody we think would have could have done better. You know, like they were in some ways almost surprised. Um, you know, I think one of the execs said, you know, there's God, there's usually always a clunker. You know, within the cast, but you know, we um, we felt really good about it. And then obviously, like you said, it, it's one thing getting the pilot. The post process is incredibly fast. You know, within I want to say four days of pretty much wrapping, you're the director's delivering their director's cut. Mm-hmm. Studios are already coming in with notes and. And within really two, three weeks, you've already done 15 different cuts. You might have even had a test screening at this point. You've, uh, the network, the studio, network, studio, you just back and forth until, you know, you're pressing everybody's notes and thoughts and, and collaborating with all those people. And then you just wait and you hope that, you know, maybe you get the series order. Did, you know, we did the best job we could. Let's see what happens. And you're trying to hear what people thought of the other pilots and stuff. And, and at this point, we knew there were six pilots shot. Only four pilots were going to series. So, um, two, again, two from CBS, two from Warner Brothers. So mm-hmm. amongst our three CBS ones, we knew one had to be left out. And we were a little bit of the, um, the black sheep because none of us, you know, including Basil, the prolific film producer. I mean, John Wick was one of the, my most favorite movies of last year. It was so much fun. Um, you know, he had never done TV before. Um, Owen was a young creator, you know, mm-hmm. this was his first project and, and we didn't have a showrunner at this point. We were just doing it ourselves and lo and behold, yeah, we got the order, you know, and, and CW to their credit is really expanding their brand and really doing a lot of great stuff. But, um, but when, yeah, we got that order and then it became staffing season <laughs> and, um, right. and along that whole process, by the way, even before we got the order, I should say, because we couldn't be behind. You don't even know if your show's going to be real, but you have to meet with all these writers. And um, Basil and Kent were in Australia shooting their movie Gods of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it was really Owen and myself and, and Micah, who works in my office here as well and is a junior manager, we were the only ones reading for staffing. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so all of a sudden I go from being the seller of my entire really film career to now being the buyer and the producer and, and now in, in charge of having the opinion to help hire people and, 
great stuff, which was a fascinating, fascinating turn of events. Um, to all of a sudden go like a, I remember asking Mike at one point after one agent had called me and was really annoying. And, um, <laughs> and I was like, Michael, I said, Michael, was I ever this annoying as an agent? And he's like, I don't know. You might've been. I was like, I'm pretty sure I wasn't. I was much nicer than this. Um, <laughs> much more pleasant. But, um, but so, uh, and so Owen and I did, and because we also absolutely needed a showrunner, um, you know, it, and you're competing against every show and every network and, mm-hmm. and all the pilots, even when you don't even know which ones are going to go forward or not. And uh, we probably had 60 staffing meetings. Um, and so he and I were just really just, I, I, you know, he probably, he probably got so sick of me after three, four weeks of just seeing each other every single day for hours <laughs> on end uh, doing the staffing. And, um, and you know, we... Um, we were really, really lucky to find Trey Calloway and have him so engaged and interested in this project. And, and Trey just felt like absolutely the right fit. So once he came aboard, we were doing those meetings together. Um, we were catching him up on the folks we'd already met with and whose material we liked. And, and I believe I was, I was submitted at least easily 300 different writers and scripts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's probably actually on the low side compared to, you know, let's say a show on an ABC or CBS, you know, where they might be upwards of four or 500 samples being sent. So it was, um, it was, it was crazy. And, and during that whole time, I'm still meeting and reading with all my other clients and putting them up for feature jobs. And actually I sold a spec during all of that process. Um, <laughs> sold a Joe Gasm's script Shadowrun, mm-hmm. um, which ended up also on the blacklist. We sold that in 24 hours. That was actually in the middle of the director meetings for the pilot. I had to excuse myself on a couple occasions. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, you know, it was, um, it was really exhausting, but one of the most fun, fun few months uh, uh, of my career was pretty cool. No, that's awesome. Uh, and that I, was a longer and longer answer than you probably expected there, Kevin. But no, absolutely not, because there's so much that goes into it. That was probably exactly what I was looking for. But I do have to right. go back to to something you said, which was again something that every I think writer wants to hear. When a manager comes to you and says, "I know this project didn't sell. Do you mind if I continue trying to shop it around?" <laughs> which I think is awesome on your yeah. part, but because I mean, usually something dies and it's just shoved to the the scrap heap. Uh, so for you to, totally. to believe in it that much and continuing championing it around town, that's, that's really awesome. So, um, uh, well, thank you. I mean, it's all self-serving, you know, most pretty much every single client I work with. In fact, no, I will say every single client I work with, I represent them because I want to watch what they do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, it's entirely self-serving because I, I'm just trying to program stuff that I want to watch out in the marketplace. Right. Um, so, and, and messengers was absolutely one of the top of that list because, you know, I just, I, I just really loved it and I just knew how cool it was and, and I so believe in Owen. He's such a superb writer. And um and you know, that's that's what we try to do with, with every you know, every client and some material, you know, has its chance and and you know, if if we've done our job right, you know, there there aren't other opportunities for it and you know, the timing may just have been wrong, et cetera, you know, but the, the philosophy I've always kind of gone by is good is good. It's just the timing that can be off. You know, the marketplace just may not recognize it at one point or another. Right. But good will always be good. So, you know, whether it's selling the future script four years later after I'd first gone out with it because, oh, great, now the marketplace wants these kind of movies. I have an awesome script that you should read, you know. And right. it might be a few years older, but doesn't make it any less awesome. And it's now now the marketplace is finally looking for it. And, and so I believe, you know, in early 2012, you know, the marketplace may have not just not been, 
interested or ready for something that has, you know, some existential, some slightly religious, some sci-fi, some supernatural, all those qualities within it. Um, but thank goodness they were ready for it in 2014 and now 2015, now that it's premiering. Right, right. And, I mean, some of the greatest projects out there, whether it's Platoon or Breaking Bad, you know, at the time they went out, they just didn't mm – -hmm. it, it took the marketplace sort of catching up to the, the material to sort of get it traction. Exactly so, right. Exactly. Um, I mean, the very first movie I ever worked on as, uh, as an assistant was Penny Marshall's last movie, Riding in Cars with Boys. And I remember, I was, you know, as a kid and, and brand new out here and – I remember talking to the writer, uh, Morgan Ward, and I was just like, so, you know, how long did it take to get this together and stuff? He's like, you know, it wasn't too bad. It took about 10 years. <laughs> and I was like, it was like literally the first thing I'd really worked on and to realize, oh my God, movies can take 10 years to get made was a really valuable thing for me to learn right from the beginning. So, you know, it um, it's always going to be a struggle. And, you know, you, if you're passionate as an artist about what you've written, if you're with the right reps who are passionate about what you do and, and your material, um, then, yeah, you just keep trying. You never know. It just takes one call and be like, you know, we're looking for something like this. And then remembering, you know what, there's a script that I really love. Let me send that to you. And you never know. It just takes one person. That's it. Right. And actually, we were speaking speaking about passion. We were talking to Adam Colbrenner last week about mm -hmm. it's it's important to find a rep that's passionate about you and your material rather than trying to convince someone to represent you because you're, it's, yeah. it's not going to be the same. And I think, again, the messengers is just one example of a rep being passionate about, you know, her client and, and the material rather than, all right, I think it's pretty good. I'll sign you. It, you, you might as well have no rep than, than somebody who's just not paying attention. I mean, if it, if it's helpful, I mean, I can see the appeal of it. It's like, well, you know, he or she may not be doing much for me, but at least when, I, when I'm pursuing stuff myself, I can re refer somebody that legitimizes me in some way. And, and, I, and I can get the appeal of that, but, you know, it, um, if you have expectations greater than, you know, finding your own work and then just having somebody else maybe, you know, take 10% without earning it and, and just to try to make, to help you get into that door, then, okay, then maybe that 10% serves that purpose of allowing you to make your own move to get through that door. But as soon as you, you can, you've got to find that person who, who's actually going to be proactive, who's going to be your partner in all of this. You know, um, right. you know we're, we're as, as reps, we're the you know, part development exec, part producing partner, part best friend, part therapist, mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. part, uh, you know, like, you know, just, you know, idea generating. You know, sometimes when the, when the client is sort of stuck themselves, we'll try to proactively find articles and books, things like that. You know, but um, it's a, it's a, it can be a really wonderful, you know, collaboration when it's, when it's sort of hitting on all cylinders. Absolutely. Um, so we're in the middle of fellowship season. Um, sure. Do you recommend that your non-staffed writers, writers who've never been staffed on a show yet, uh, assuming you have any, or hypothetically, I guess, if you don't, do you recommend they apply to fellowships? And if so, how would the fellowships help a newer writer's career? Absolutely. I think the fellowships are there in order to provide a, uh, a boost in, in that because, you know, just having been on the other side of staffing last year, you know, at that staff writer level, it is unbelievable how much material we got in on that staff writer level of people trying to break in. And looking at that, and by the way, there was a lot of really well-written samples and scripts, you know, which, which made me a little, that much more discouraged in some ways of like, God, how does anybody break in? Mm -hmm. And so, 
if you know if you're if you're having that hard time breaking in, and because frankly there's so much competition, there's a lot of really good writers out there. There's a lot of really really mediocre ones too. But you know, either way, if they're still getting submitted, you're competing against all of them. And knowing for me, having been on that producing side now, knowing that someone was in the Warner Fellowship or came out of the Fox Writers Intensive, um, you know, just to name two, gave me a reason to prioritize reading them over maybe some other submission that I'd received. Mm -hmm. And that was, um, I think that's meaningful. And I know how challenging those programs are, and I know how tough it is to get into those programs. But even in a bigger practical sense, beyond just, you know, giving a good impression to a producer, let alone a representative, to it's easier to get signed, I think, when you're coming out of those programs, too. We, uh, at least for, you know, speaking specifically for messengers, you know, by the time we came to our staff writing uh, spot, we were running out of money in terms of our budget, our writer's budget. And um, and because, you know, we, we didn't have any necessarily pressure to have to have diversity at the staff writer because we, frankly, prioritized diversity at all levels mm-hmm. and found diversity at higher and mid-level um, positions. Um, and... Um, and so we, you know, we were able to, you know, hire who we needed. And, and we actually had one of our uh, wonderful writers, Juan Lee, we knew was uh, expecting a baby and we knew we were going to lose her for, you know, at least two months. Um, and so we ended up hiring a writing team at that staff writer level, knowing that we needed an extra body in the room for a period of time. But what came in handy for us, um, because it's CW and, you know, meant we had access to the Warner Brothers Fellowship. And we ended up getting two writers out of the Warner Brothers program uh-huh. that we didn't have to pay for. And um, even though we were also, by the way, a CBS Studios show, but because it's CW, we were able to access that. Um, and we got two terrific writers out of that program, one alumni in Clark Perry, um, and one who's currently and still is in the program in Joe Paracchio. And it was invaluable having both of them in the room and having two extra you know, brains and talents in that space, and we didn't have to pay for them. So in the same way that the Warner's Fellowship gives a, a little bit of a leg up, there's no guarantee, mind you, of a job, but it, um, but it makes a difference, and it can help on a Warner Brothers show to be able to have access and to have the program maybe help make up for the cost that the show cannot because they've hired some great, talented, high-level people. As a result, have no money at that lower level and therefore have to hire someone strictly off of diversity, not to say that they're any less talented, but they, you know, their options may narrow a little because they need, um, they need that writer paid for through another, through another venue. And, um, and same with, you know, Fox Intense, all, all of those other programs, they are helpful in, in giving you just that much better of an opportunity in an otherwise incredibly challenging climate. Right. And and just to clarify for, for those writers who may not be as familiar with the fellowships, by saying you didn't have to pay them, they're obviously getting paid, but they're getting paid through the fellowship, Correct. which is part of the, the program's... Uh, Correct. You know, their, the their salary is not coming out of the show's budget, but Correct. coming out of the fellowship's budget. Right, right. And that's one of the appeals of hiring fellowship writers, in addition to obviously the competition level of getting in and the, what the program teaches you and the connections that they're making. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's the fact that CBS would pay for their salary so that it doesn't come out of your own budget, which is already you know, stretched thin, I'm sure. Correct. Yeah. And, awesome. and, and particularly with some of those major network shows, because the competition is so high to get, you know, um, let's say their favorite, you know, EP, co-EP, you know, supervising producer level writers that they might overspend to get somebody and not prevent them from going on to another show because they really, really want that person and their skill set is a perfect match for their project. 
And as a result, they don't have any money mm-hmm. for that staff writer. So it's either we have no staff writer or we try to get one, you know, paid for through a program. Right. And then that's something that also is of note that is interesting. Um, shows can be either top heavy based on their certain writing budget for that show. And you can have, you know, a bunch of co-EPs and, and supervising producers and such, and very mm-hmm. little on the bottom end, staff writers and story uh, editors. Or it, you could have one or two top-level people and just a ton of staff writers and story editors, executive story editors, people like that. Uh, it depends how your showrunner wants to have their room. Uh, absolutely. I mean, and and it's it's also just you know, the disposition of the showrunner and the people mm-hmm. involved, you know, the producers, you know, it's, it's trying to, you know, have that right balance, you know, having a showrunner like Trey, who's incredibly experienced and really confident, but also very generous and very, you know, um, very open and ran a great, great room. You know, he, you know, he obviously had Owen who, you know, created it and, and had such a great vision. Um, but we had another, you know, senior exec and the terrific writer, Carl Binder, and um, and so we knew we had you know some you know our our captain and and our first lieutenant and second lieutenant in place. Um, so it became like finding people whose voices you know reflected certain characters maybe we felt could reflect certain characters stronger, could provide a nice balance who just also had a nice perspective. You know we had people in the room itself, especially for a show like this that deals with faith. You know, we had people of all faiths and, and even one or two of no faith, you know, mm-hmm. t- traditionally speaking, in that room. You know, so it was, um, you know, we were able to find that balance at multiple levels. But again, you never know that show, you know, showrunner of sh- like, you know, you know, show X, you know, may feel, you know, I really need more co-EPs than I care about having you know, a mid, more mid-level people, I'd rather more high-level people and more lower-level people, and there's maybe very few, if, if maybe almost none on the mid-level. So you mm-hmm. just, it's it all kind of comes top-down about who they feel, who that showrunner feels will best serve his or her vision for the show and the show itself. Right. And, for example, uh, just throwing out one more example, um, Craig Doyle is the supervising producer of Undateable, and that's a Bill Lawrence show. Bill is obviously mm-hmm. the showrunner. Uh, Craig's the supervising producer, and I think they have one other uh, higher-level producer, and then they have a room of like 14 staff writers, story editors, uh, because it's about <laughs> getting jokes. It's not about developing you know, uh, the plots, and they want as many people, funny people, being able in the room to throw out jokes so that they can, you know, cherry pick what works into their episodes, which I think. And, uh, and I got to think, you know, writers who are newer in this process, you know, traditionally are, are, you know, at least again, you can't assume anything, but chance are half of that room is, you know, it's still dating, you know, and is right. married with a family, That's you know, half too. are probably married with families, half are probably not. And, um, and so you want to be able to play upon that experience. Whereas, you know, just the more veteran people, you know, they're just, they're, you know, you don't become veteran without having to put in the years to become a veteran. Right. And, um, and with a show that specific in terms of its tone with Undateable, which is a really funny show, you know, knowing the people who can, who can at the very top, who know how to, how to run, how to maintain the storylines, how to put all that stuff. But you need the stories of like, you know, that staff writer saying, oh my God, so I went out on the state and you wouldn't believe what happened. Mm-hmm. And that's probably going right into the show. Right. Whereas, Bill Lawrence, who's been happily married, you know, your friend has probably been happily married for many years, right. wife, kids, their experience doesn't reflect some of the stuff that's, that's out there right now. So they were very smart in, in hiring, you know, 
lower level people who chances are at least half of them were going through the stuff that is going to be direct fodder for the for a show like that. So again, that's populating your room with with the with the people, with the experience, with the um, with the background that's going to best serve the the tone and the and the actual story of the show. Right. No, absolutely. And that's again one of the questions that we do get sometimes too, in terms of when when you're in a uh, a showrunner meeting or an executive meeting, and they ask you to talk mm-hmm. just talk about yourself, and people say, "Well, I'm boring. I don't really have anything to say about myself. I went to college. I graduated. I want to be a writer." The reason that they ask these types of things is, one, to get just a feel for you, but also, again, for the things that you had just mentioned. What is your background and how would you fit into this room? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, these things matter. That's a hundred percent. It's, you know, and by the way, even for our clients, when we're pitching original ideas or, or going in on assignment, it's like, why are you the right person to tell sure. this story? Mm-hmm. Why are you the right person to be in this room? And it's like, well, you know, I relate to this father-son story because I had a similar relationship with my own father, and here's our backstory, and blah, 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 and, and I can absolutely relate and put myself into those shoes, and that's why the story, and that's why I'm the right person for this. You know, like, it, there's got to be something like that. You know, obviously, if you're working on something that's, you know, like Star Trek, it's like, well, I'm an alien. It's, you're not going to be able to do <laughs> stuff like that. Right. But um, you're not going to be able to do that kind of thing. But you can say, like, you know, I've, I've been through that kind of adversity. You know, I, I spent time in the, in the Navy, and I know what it's like to be in close quarters with a bunch of people who you don't really like, but you're all working together for one thing. You know, that's all of a sudden that guy is going to separate themselves from all the other writers they met because they had something from their personal background that brings a perspective that the mm-hmm. show is like, well, God, I wasn't in the Navy. I've never been in something like that. This person brings something I cannot into this room. And that's what's going to be, and if there's obviously that meeting with you because your sample's great, that's what's going to separate you. So I hate to say that for folks who don't have as much life experience, et cetera, it's going to be, it's going to be tough because it, particularly for TV, that doesn't necessarily mean for film, but I think for TV, it's going to be tough. You'll have, like, let's say, I think, you know, I don't remember if it was this season or last, but like the a show like The Good Wife saying, you know, we're looking, we have one slot open. It has to be someone who used to be a lawyer. So, you know what I mean? Like it, it's, it can be that specific sometimes. And, Mm -hmm. um, and being able to have something of, you know, if you're passionate about this project, why, why, what makes you connect to this the way that you're talking about, you're saying it connects to you, but I don't get a sense of why it connects to you. And, and, and being able to fill in that why is what hopefully will make you separate as well too. Absolutely. Uh, and speaking of staffing season, uh, it's upon us yet again. Um, Mm. And we've got a great article on our website about staffing season advice uh, from uh, the writer-producers, so check that out. But I wanted okay. to talk to you, Ava, about the representation side. How do you, sure. first, get your clients into the rooms with the showrunners and network execs? And second, once they book those meetings, how do you prepare them for said meetings? Well, the hardest part, I would say, of staffing season is getting people to read. You mm-hmm. know, they're being bombarded with material. So, you know, it'll often be you know, really pressing upon a relationship, you know, and being like, dude, I'm telling you, you got to read this, you know, it's, you know, leading up to that submission, it's, uh, it's making sure that's the best script we could send out and having really developed the heck out of it so that we're no, we know we're confident in what we're sending them and also being specific, you know, not every client is going to be right for every show. So being really targeted and really focused on what are our best chances. And, and by the way, that also factors in 
which clients have relationships with people on the show. Sometimes there's no relationship. Sometimes there is, and that plays into the strategy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but and it's also us as as reps being really dogged and and checking in every couple of days of like, did you read it now? <laughs> you know, did you read it now? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like that that fine balance of what you were saying for like you know potential client to a rep. We have to do that same fine balance to those executives because we know how much is on their plate. We know this is one of probably 30 scripts they got sent that day. Um, and, and so that's where we just really have to be, you know, on them, but, you know, but at the same time, polite and not overly aggressive. And once you've gotten that read and you've been on them and it, and I have to say it also, the, the lower the level that you're submitting for, the lower the priority is in terms of reading because the higher level people, there are few of them, they're higher in demand. Mm-hmm. Those reads, those things will always happen first. Right. So you also have to be realistic in terms of how you follow up. But, but so yeah, once, so once that writer is, is prepped, and by the way, this is true of almost any level, but uh, you know, let's, let's focus a little bit on the lower level, you know, for that writer going in, maybe for his or her first ever staffing meeting or, you know, multi other, it's, you know, this is where that whole concept of being good in a room is important. Right. <laughs> um, you know, who, knowing who you are, feeling comfortable to being able to speak in that because TV more so than anything else is a collaboration. You're in a room with a bunch of other people. So if you like to write in a dark room by yourself and don't like to be bothered by people, TV's probably not the right thing to pursue. Mm-hmm. But if you're social and, and love spitballing, et cetera, your personality really needs to come out. And, and it's really important to speak you know, about what really connected, what, why you really like this pilot, why did it really speak to you, why did you dig this script, you know, what in your background makes you feel that you're particularly right to be a part of this. Um, you know, and, um, and is there a suggestion or two you would make or, or, you know, ask about where the show goes and, and maybe give a little sample of spitballing with that showrunner or that producer in that room of, you know, gosh, you know, I I thought, you know, that's really cool that it went there. Like, you know, for a second I was thinking, you know, you could do like, you know, this character might do something like this and stuff. And, you know, you're, you're sort of showcasing, even if that idea is, is not quite right or not where the showrunner is planning on going with it, it's like, okay, this, this person's, you know, I, I, I see what it's like. I have a taste now of what it might be like to have this person in the room, and I like their energy, you know, that idea, not what we're going to do, but I kind of like the way he or she is thinking, so that's pretty cool. And, and wow, their background and, and, the, and the reason this, this feels so personal for them really also speaks to me. So it's trying to cover all of those bases because, you know, when, you're, you know, when these guys are doing 10 of these meetings a day, you know, like mm-hmm. one after another. Um, how do you stand out at the end of the day? Absolutely. Segwaying into submissions in terms of staffing season, obviously there's a separation between comedy, half-hour comedy, and hour-long drama. Do you focus even more than that? For example, if your uh, writer is more comfortable with procedurals versus the serialized mm-hmm. dramas, or one that likes crime drama as opposed to family dramas, do you specifically mm-hmm. target or do you just kind of get it out there to as many showrunners hoping that they may, you know, that that showrunner will like the material for whatever reason and they can make that connection? Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's what I mean by being targeted with your submissions, because mm-hmm. if you have a procedural, you know, something that could serve really well for one of the NCIS shows or even for an elementary or even for a person of interest, it's probably not going to be right for Game of Thrones. Right. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, um, you, you know, you got to just be really specific with that stuff. And, and so a lot of that, you know, in the, let's say the off season, as it were, is driven by, you know, the client and, and knowing, knowing that client and being like, okay, 
what are you passionate about? What are the shows that you really like? What do you, what, what would you prefer to write? And if it's, you know, well, I really love a show like Castle. It's my favorite show. I really want to do, you know, sort of the relationship procedural thing. It's like, okay, great. You know, let's, what's your version of that? Let's see if there's, you know, let's, let's have you write something along those lines. And, and, and that person then knows like, okay, this is the kind of shows I'm going to be put up for. I, I shouldn't, I'm not going to expect to necessarily be put up for, for empire when I've written a castle, mm-hmm. you know? Right. So it, um, it's, it's that artist knowing his or herself and what they'd like to do, where they, where they would ideally want to live. And then the rep telling them, okay, well, these are the kinds of shows that we're going to be able to put you off or off of this sample. And maybe that writer has their slightly more, you know, procedural sample and they've got their fully serialized sample. And if you've got more than one, and for us as a rep, we can put them up for all those shows using different samples. Mm-hmm. Now, pilot development season is still sort of in its early phases. Uh, you lay the groundwork early. Can you talk a little bit about pilot development season and how that how that works for a, for example, a newer writer who has a great pilot sample, pilot spec, excuse me. Obviously, getting staffed is an option, but also, you know, being a pilot, where do you go with that? Yeah, development can change the game, you know, mm-hmm. if, um, if that you know, writer, if he or she has a cool new pilot sample, um, or rather pilot spec, um, then ideally it's finding a great producer who also believes in it too. And maybe there's a little more work to do, but along with that producer, it's submitting that script out, trying to get a studio to, to, to buy it, trying to put landed with a network, you know, and, and, um, not only is it a great opportunity for that young writer to, or I should say newer writer, because it can be any age, um, for that newer writer to get a shot at getting on the radar of a lot of people, because even if that pilot doesn't sell, but a lot of people really liked it, um, you're so much further ahead for next year's staffing season because a bunch of people have already read you now. And, um, and those calls are a lot easier to make. And, and because you've taken out something with a producer, you've also met these people more than likely in person, at least a lot of them. And so you've, you know, it's a lot easier to call a next general when it's like, remember that so-and-so, you, you, you know, you, you really liked, you know, his or her script and that so-and-so was producing and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden that standing, I was like, oh yeah, I really like that script. Yeah. You know, I'm going to put them on the list for this show. That could be really cool. So it can help in a lot of different ways, even if you don't sell something. But obviously, if you do, then amazing. You know, that writer's getting paid. You know, you're you're going through the you're, you're in the trenches with your executives, and you're doing the notes. You're learning a ton about how people in TV think, how the studio thinks, how the networks thinks, and you you see that reflected in their notes. And like most pilots, it, it probably won't get picked up to go forward, but you've made a lot of friends. You've made a lot of connections. You got paid some decent money. And, um, and that means it's going to be easier to sell the next go around because you've already now established yourself and you even have, even if it's not a staffing credit, it's easier to pitch somebody in staffing season and be like, Oh yeah. And they just developed with ABC, uh, ABC studios and, um, an ABC network. So I'm pitching you now pitching this showrunner who has a show on ABC of a writer who clearly has now at least been in the family, even if he or she's never staffed. So right. it's um, beneficial in a lot of ways. Yeah, and talking about that, like you said, have been in the family, so to speak, being developing at the same network or uh, having mutual friends, something like that, but especially at the network, I think it's also relevant because showrunners, as much power and clout as they have, I mean, unless you're, you know, Vince Gilligan or Aaron Sorkin or something like that, uh, <laughs> they still have to answer to the network. And so their writer choices go up the food chain to the uh, network, and the network 
can veto writer choices. And but they know if you have gone mm-hmm. through and developed with that network, you have a great relationship with those executives. They won't have to fight for that writer per se. You're good Absolutely. in the game, so that's good too. Yeah, you, you've you've already built a relationship there. And you know what it's like to get notes from them, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And even if you're not coming in as a higher level writer on the staff, you know what it's like to write for this network. And, yeah. and that can be an advantage. Absolutely. Um, we've got a few listener questions that I want to throw your sure. way. Um, the first says, what carries weight in a query? Contest wins or placements, blacklist website reader scores and comments. Uh, talking about, I guess, the fee-based website. Uh, Mm -hmm. site not the annual list comments from script consultants such as the screenplay mechanic etc these all would suggest the screenplay doesn't totally suck but are they enough well i mean for me i would say it's i've i've never pursued anybody off of a query letter i mean i look at them all by the way um but i would say something that would catch my eye and that would motivate me more is maybe knowing that someone was like a finalist, semi-finalist, maybe even a quarter-finalist, and then Nichols, mm-hmm. you know, a competition. A couple competitions that really, you know, mean something specific. If I've never heard of the competition, it's it's pretty meaningless. Right. You know, uh, and, you know, it's that's that means a lot to me. Also, just frankly, how well the query is written speaks the most. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's typing errors or if I can tell that, you know, it's like, oh, this was a cut and paste because the the formatting after my dear Ava is something else. Um, right. You know, like, you can just tell, like, not that I need to feel special, but it's just those little details of, like, well, if you can't quite get that detail down, how can I assume that you're you're competently putting everything else together? Right. Um, but, you'll, you know, you'll see, I just, I, I, I judge the writing of the query first and foremost. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and then other little things are great, but but it, it really is about a the idea, you know, because you'll be like, well, I'm not quite really sure what that is, and I don't have the time or inclination to find out. Um, or it, a lot of it's, by the way, like you know, I already have somebody who writes in that space. I don't need another person, so you know, you kind of don't pursue in that way. But um, but you'd be surprised how uh, you know a lot of the writing is actually just so so, and even in the query letters. Right. Right. The next one says, if you could tailor a dream relationship, how would it go? What should the newbie writer do to make that happen? What writers need to do is write. You know what I mean? And, you know, if, if we've taken out a script and, you know, we've got a ton of meetings, let's say, for that writer, but nothing else has come out of it and it's not translating to something, you know, to either a sale or to a job, then I need that writer to write. You know, you got to just keep at your craft um, because our job is to try to, you know, sell and try to, you know, put you out there for, for, you know, for, for opportunities and jobs. And, and if people have read something, it's like, well, I read that. What else do they have? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can only generate more at bats when there's more things to bring to the bat, you know, like, you know, you got to step up each time with the plate and each, each time there's a new script, it's a new chance to, you know, hit a home run. Right. Absolutely. Okay. And what are your script pet peeves? (laughs) I have my own little OCD things. Um, Typos for sure. They're everyone's pet peeve. It's not just me. Everybody hates typos. It's like, wow, you didn't make the time to read through this to to see if it's spelled right. And now you're making me read it. Okay. (laughs) Um, You know, great. Um, So did you really put that much work into this? And that's the first thing typos make a really negative impression of. Right. 
And by the way, just some people are bad spellers. I'm personally not the greatest speller myself, but it stops me every single time when I'm reading something. And the more you stop when you read something, the more it seems like the writer was not ex- able to execute something well. Mm-hmm. Other things within a script is, you know, let's say overly using inf- like emphasis. So, you know, having like half your page in bold is not going to really be helpful for me to right. see something, you know, in that way. Um, or um, God, I remember years ago, back in the day in the mailroom, reading something where it's just like, okay, this clearly was more of a script of a wish fulfillment for the writer than it is for me as an audience or the reader being put on some kind of journey of interest. But <laughs> so that's more in terms of concept. Um, but yeah, I would say typos above above all else. You know, it it's those little attention to detail that um, that really do make an impression. It really makes makes you feel like somebody has put a lot of time and energy into this, and, and, and that's something we all respect. Right. Now, we're at a part where we just like to ask you what you're reading, watching, playing, and listening to. Mm. Reading right now, I've mostly just been reading client material. Everybody's coming to me with a couple feature specs, pilot specs. We're getting our ideas together for for this for um, the summer development season, so I haven't been able to really read much outside of work related. Mm-hmm. Um, watching um, and catching up on a lot of stuff. I uh, finally just caught up on the first season of Outlander, which was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You know, fun female romance fiction essentially, um, and uh, I can see why so many of my female friends were such big fans of it. Right. And uh, you know, just been just watched Fast Seven. Just watch It Follows, you know, trying to keep up with all the fun, cool things that are that are coming out right now. But in, in general, I also just, yeah, just watched uh, the new TV Land, um, uh, Darren Star show, Younger, which was, I thought, terrific. And it's been exciting to see as, you know, as all these shows start premiering, I always try to watch at least an episode, you know, of every show if, if possible. Now there's just too many shows, but... Right. Um, but it's been um, it's been fun seeing like this new programming and seeing that it's really good programming coming out there, mm-hmm. um, and like everybody else, very excited for Game of Thrones this weekend. As to listening, funny enough, I've um, I've actually you know there's always I've always got usually some music on in the background, and I'm not the biggest mu- music driven person. I'm obviously more of a movie and TV person, mm-hmm. but um, but I've been listening to. Um, the sort of there's these Twilight Zone radio p- dramas, hmm. and I believe some gentleman had just um, has licensed them and re-recorded them in a really cool way, and and um, with a lot of you know terrific actors, and I've been listening to essentially Twilight Zone, so that's been um, pretty fun. Yeah, and lastly, playing. Are you playing anything? I haven't been playing something. I uh, I I haven't bought a new game for this season yet or this year. I usually play two games a year, but um, I did finally finish at the end of last year both of the Portal games, which okay. I've been very behind on, and uh, they were awesome. I love that. Talk about great writing and you know characters in a in a non traditional sort of way. You know, mm-hmm. um, you, you don't really know much about your own protagonist, but all of the world you're in is really really fascinating, and I. And I also finally, you know, finished. I'd never played any of the Assassin's Creed games, so mm. on Micah's recommendation, I played a Assassin's Creed 2, which was also really fun. Oh, but cool. I am, I, I am kind of eyeing the new Mortal Kombat as it's coming out, even though I'm <laughs> terrible at fighting games. But there's so much uh, sentimentality as a kid of playing all those uh, Mortal Kombat games. Uh, 
that um, it is very tempting. So we'll see. Right. Uh, was that a Micah recommendation as well? Because if it is, he might be hustling you. Don't don't put any money down. You might be a pro <laughs> no, at that. No, it's not. We haven't, we, have, we haven't actually talked about games yet okay. uh, this, this year. We've, both, we've just been so busy. But, yeah. but uh, no, just even seeing the commercials and stuff and, and the new Just Cause looks kind of cool, but I'm I'm not the I'm not great at fighting games. I don't have that crazy hand dexterity to like be able to do 20 buttons in like two seconds. Right. Um. And I'm terrible at first person shooters because I don't spend enough time gaming to get good at them. Sure. So uh, I've been able to admire a lot of the cool games that are coming out, but I I know that I'm like terrible at them. So <laughs> kind of uh, waiting for um, like another game like a Bioshock or something like that where. Uh, I can. Uh, I know that at least I got a shot at playing it pretty decently. Right. And lastly, do you have any advice for aspiring screenwriters, or is there anything else you want to share? You know, I would just say, you know, keep at it. You know, I mean, keep working on your craft. If you if you really are meant to be at it, it's um, you know, it requires a lot of just hard work and 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 dedication. You know, get, you know, try to find an opportunity to work within an agency or as an assistant at some place. You know, some production company or somewhere. Get start building your network and and you'll find that your network is how you'll get served into moving your own career forward. And worst case, you'll find out if it is for you or not, or be like, you know what, as much as I love writing, God, it's actually really cool doing development, you know, and right. you're just going to be able to educate yourself on, on the best path for, for yourself. And, um, and, but that requires just getting out there and, and rolling up your sleeves and you might not, it might take time away from your writing, but you're learning more about the business and you might be writing stuff that actually is better suited for the marketplace than you would be just in the room by yourself, you know, just trying to, you know, figure it out on your own. Right. Absolutely. Be sure to follow Ava on Twitter at Ava Jamshidi and be sure to watch The Messengers Friday, April 17th on the CW 98 Central. Uh, thanks for coming on, Ava. It's always great talking to you. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Kevin. Yeah. And thanks for listening.